Today, we are here with Miss Latasha Brown. I have to introduce like this because it's momentous. It's a moment. Also, because I feel like anytime, anywhere Latasha is, a word is dropped. And so it feels like we are in church. Feels like we are in a moment. We have Miss Latasha Brown here who, Latasha, what is like the official title for how, like, how do you credit? Like, because I feel like you just are all knowing Oracle of voting. No. Um, <laughs> nobody but you, sister. Nobody but you. <laughs> right. Um, I am, my official title is Chief Doer. <laughs> Chief, Chief, Chief Doer. I don't need to be the executive. I'm whatever. I'm just Chief Doer. Get it done. Let's get her done. Get her done. Get her done. And when we talk about getting it done, Latasha in particular gets it done by really uh, doing incredible studies and working at Harvard uh, in fellowship to really create narrative and, and understanding around how we can shift voting and how we can encourage and ignite voting, particularly in the South. Am I correct in that assertion? That is correct. That is correct. The base is in the South. We work everywhere, but our base is in the South because that's where Black people are. The majority of Black people live in the South. So it's only right that we would do side effects of why the Black vote matters because we are here with Black Voters Matter. That's right. (laughs) So, Latasha, can you first just tell us about... Well, you know what? No, I don't even want to start there. Can you just tell us about how you got to this point in your work? I do. You know, I want to share with folks that it's really interesting how I came to even with voting. I don't know. There's, there's three, like, just quick. I'm a storyteller. I'm from the dirty South, so this is what we do. Um, there are three quick um, thoughts that come to mind. The first one is, um, I shared this a couple of days ago, um, around my grandmother. My grandmother was Nellie Gamble, Nellie Far Gamble, born in Orville, Alabama, um, in 1910, and she raised me. I am a big mama's baby. Mama, that was my, that was, I'm, I'm her baby. And she, um, it's funny though, man, because when I think about it, I was like, my grandma was always old. I never not knew, I never knew her young. I was like, she was just always old. I just, that's why I'm looking at flat grandmamas. My baby, my grandbaby tried to call me grandma. I was like, I ain't no grandma. I'm just, <laughs> but, um, but ultimately, what one of the things that the thought that comes to mind to me is when she would go vote, she would take me with her, right? And she would put on like her dress, like she was going to church, her Sunday dress. And she always had, she had her, you know, her, her uh, bags that she would take around with her everyday purse. But she had her, <laughs> that's right, baby. Uh, she had what she called her pocketbook which was her purse. I don't know why she called it that, but she would put it on her arm and we would go vote. I did not know what voting was. Like I had no concept. I don't ever remember her telling me what it was, but whatever we went to do, I knew that it made her feel empowered. There was something about that process. And when you think about it, the majority of her life, she was excluded from the process, right? And so that, like, that's like one thing in the back of my mind around voting. Um, As I got older though, you know, I also recognize that even as a young child, I was always obsessed with power, that I was, there's a running joke in my family that every time they would take me into stores, I could go to McDonald's and I would want to know who owned it. And my grandmother, like one of the stories is about us going into Kmart. So I'm in Kmart and they trying to shop and I'm like, mama, who owned it? And she was like, I don't know who owned Kmart. What do you mean who owned <laughs> Mark, I was always obsessed with wanting to know who owned the place, right? <laughs> to the point that to this day, and then I started getting good at it. I literally would go into places to this day I do this. If I can be in the bus station. I want to know who, who, who in charge, right? I literally, when I go in the spaces to this day, I go and I look around, I scan the room, and I am looking for power. Nine times out of 10, I can tell you who's in charge, Right. So I developed that over time. I realized that I had this affection of knowing power. 
who had the power to make a decision. For some reason, I don't know where that came from, but that was really important to me. And then the third point is, even as a little girl that I guess I was somewhat prissy, but I would fight. So I don't know what you call that. Like, um, um, prissy tomboyish. I don't know. Cause I always liked being a girl, but I would, I would yeah, like, no, you just scrappy. Like I was scrappy. Right. But I was going to be cute. I was going to have my little bowls and stuff. Right. <laughs> but, um, my, well, I never could stand a bully, like people who took yep. advantage others and so even though I was this little this little skinny girl like the boys that would take advantage or would chase yep. behind the girls I would take them on I've always been like that me too so when when the it's like the culmination of who I am like as I got older it wasn't I don't think it was an intentional uh it was intentional around okay I'm gonna grow up and get involved in politics it was a natural vehicle where those things collided for me like this, this something mm-hmm. around that made my family feel, or my grandmother feel like she had some sense of agency, like this whole space around power, right? And this yeah. whole space around how do we, how do we stop pain? How do we reduce pain in our community? And so as I got, as I got um, right after college, I got involved in politics kind of by accident. Um, I got pulled into politics by one of my mentors who really wanted to get his daughter involved. And so since she and I were friends, he was a, he was a Senator. I got involved and it was a natural fit for me for those very things. Like I started thinking about power and strategy. And so my skill in many ways, I say I was drawn to it and I wasn't drawn to politics per se. Cause I think people get that caught up. Politics was an ends to a mean has always been an ends to a mean. I want black people to have power point blank period. We, you want us to own the place. I want us to own the place. I want to walk into McDonald's and be like, okay, that's who owned the place. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I want, right? So ultimately, my work in politics became in that space. It's interesting because I did work for a number of years, probably about five years. And then when I, um, I was in my 20s, and at 28, my mentor, there were the folks had encouraged me. I was doing a lot of education reform in Alabama. And this is how I started dealing with voter suppression. And my mentors asked me to um, that I should run for this, this office on the State Board of Education. Now, I'm a single mama with nappy hair because at the time I want, wore two strand twists. Y'all, this is in the 90s. Like, that was not cool. Now, I know everybody rocking natural hair right now. Right. This is the thing. Right. But my own family, let me tell you how bad it was, Amanda. My mother, who is bougie, I love my mother, I lost her a couple of years ago, but bougie as hell. My mother said for her birthday one year, I asked, I said, Ma, I was like, what do you want for your birthday? I want you to get your hair pressed. Oh, Ma. I was like, Ma. Because <laughs> you do be coming on with the lay and we'd be like, <laughs> right. But see, you know, I will wrap I have two strands in the yep. afternoon the next day but the but the bottom line my point is i wasn't even in an i wasn't in an environment where even going natural was supported and not in alabama in the 90s right so no. just the context so i'm walking around with two strand twists um a single mom making maybe fifteen thousand dollars a year if i was making that much right running statewide office the audacity and then ran against a 12 year incumbent I didn't know. So, I, matter of fact, I ran my campaign out of a Kinko's and a Jetta. My best friend had a Jetta, and that was the office. And so, at the end of the day, long story short, at the end of the day, in this particular race, and that's when I first experienced sexism, um, sexism more than racism, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But the the bottom line is, I ran for the state by, statewide seat, and at the on election day, it was too close to call. It took them seven days to call the election, and so on the seventh day, out of thousands of votes, on the seventh day, seventh day, um, I it was called that I lost about 131 votes. Well, I thought I had done pretty good, being that I was running against an incumbent, all of that. Well, at 12 o'clock, they certified the race. At 12.05, I get a phone call from my mentor, who was the senator at the time, was a powerful senator. And he said, brace yourself. The chair of the Democratic Party is going to call you in five minutes. I have chills. I have chills. (laughs) The The next phone call I get is from the chair of the Democratic Party in Alabama, a man named Giles Perkins, who died maybe a year ago who starts off saying, oh, I'm so sorry, Latasha. I'm so sorry to make this call. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I already know I lost. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm all right. Right. 
And he said, no, I'm calling because the sheriff of Wilcox County said that he forgot that he had 800 absentee ballots that he had placed in the safe. And so the race was certified at 12. He conveniently remembered five, a couple of minutes after 12 that he had these 800 ballots. Well, me and my naivety, I'm like, okay, that's cool because Wilcox County is a county that I carry, right? The counties that I ran in. And I was like, that's fine. So we just count them. He's like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. The race is already certified. How is it certified? I'm like, what does that mean? Like, we can't count those votes. So I'm like, well, you mean you just going to steal it? Like, there's nothing. He was like, the only thing I can tell you to do is to seek legal recourse. And I mean, I was advised that would take thousands and thousands of dollars. The point being, not so much about me, but in my face, that election was stolen from me and there was nothing I could do about it. That ultimately, it was literally at that moment when voter suppression really became real for me. This was in 1998. So, and there was no repercussions. So ultimately what wound up happening, here it is, the person who stole the election was ultimately rewarded, right? I'm raising this because even when we're thinking about voter suppression that's happening now, that's always been happening on some level or some form where you see black folks, that's where it happens, which gets to the question, the ultimate question, like, why are we doing all this? Why are we participating? And so I got to, you know, I got beliefs around that too, around why I do the work. Well, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, I, you know, I like to tell folks, you know, there's a couple of things that there were three big points because people ask us all the time, folks, when we go out um, with Cliff and I, who are both co-founders of Black Voters Matter, when we go out and talk about Black Voters Matter, when we meet on the street, we're not looking for the super voter, the person that's going to vote all the time. They're going to vote all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. Those brothers and sisters that other people have written off, um, that's who we talking to. It's really interesting because I remember 20 years ago, since so I've been doing this work for 25 years, 20 years ago, I was out in, um, in the hood registering folks. And there was this brother, I'll never forget it he was on the basketball court. And he was saying like, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. Like, I, no, I ain't that's what I keep hearing right. in the, in the DMS and the Twitters. He, kept, he said it. At that time, because I was a young, inexperienced organizer, um, at that time, I started trying to evangelize him. I started trying to say, like, listen, you got to understand how important it is that the vote is important. That's your voice. If you don't vote, then it, it doesn't matter. And I like then I started telling him about the people that died and X, Y, Z. And he said, I remember he looked at me and he was like, yeah, but the question is, will it matter? And I didn't have a response to it. This was 20 years ago. Baby, I got, it took me 20 years to literally sit with that. What I will say is that brother is the brother that transformed me, that his question was real. It was raw. It was based in reality. And it made me literally sit over the years as I was doing this organizing to constantly ask myself this question, why should we be asking people to vote? And so ultimately what became to me or what I landed on, and I'm really grateful. I wish I could find that brother because he don't know how. That's why we don't need to be afraid of folks that may challenge us. Those are the very people that can help us grow. Like he actually helped me to grow. That ultimately I had to get to the point that I had to recognize that what I was saying to him wasn't true. That when I was talking to him, I was talking to him like voting was going to solve all his problems. And he was like, no, it's not. And he was right. It wasn't. Right. The second thing is I was so busy trying to win the argument that I wasn't listening to what he said. It took me 20 years to hear him. But once I heard him and sat with it, then I thought about it. And so my whole organizing model is based on it. The reason why we think and why I do the work around voting, it's not that I believe that voting is the end all and be all. What I believe is voting is one vehicle for for folks, black folks, to reduce harm happening in our communities. I have evidence of that. I can tell you about going in a courtroom when there's a DA 
that is responsive to black voters and a DA that's not responsive to black voters. I have seen the kind of sentencing they give off. I can go in and tell you the difference between a judge that is responsive and been put in office by black folks opposed to those who won't work against us. There is a major difference. So for me, as I go out now, the first thing I do, which I learned from that brother, is I listen. I'm not trying to evangelize anybody. There's there's four core things I say. One, I'm listening. I'm listening to what they're saying. And when they tell me, um, you know, I'm not interested in voting X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, I get off it. What I say is, well, tell me what it is that you care about. I've never found a black person that didn't care about nothing. So that whole idea that black folks are apathetic, that's a lie. Like the goal is, can we humble ourselves and listen to figure out what they're what they're interested in. So I ask them what they're interested in, and then I ask them what they want to see changed about it. And then they literally will talk about it, and then I'll go from there just to share with them that there are some things that you know. So you're saying that you don't like that that the that folks are getting um, shot down in the streets like dogs, and you want to change that. Well, do you know who's over the police? It's the police chief. Do you know how he gets in office? It's like, well, how? Well, do you know that the mayor hires him or the city council? Yep. You have power and leverage to put them in office. You're right. They're not going to change your life drastically around all the things that we want. But ultimately, if you want to have some input on who is policing your children, then you have to recognize that there's a direct connection with you voting because you have to look at voting not as the end all and be all, but as a vehicle, as one tool for power. That's one thing. The second thing is I also ask people, what aspect of your life is not impacted by politics? Give me one, like one, like there's nothing. There's no aspect of our life. We can't even die and our family collect insurance money without getting right, right, right. Right. And so but that's all- real. I mean, people really don't seem to understand that. Like they really don't seem to realize that your whole life is affected by politics. I think that, life- and I think part of it is this, this, it's kind of like a cognitive dissonance because it's like, okay, well, I got, I want to feel like I have some control in some way. And it's like, I mean, you could I mean, I understand it. the bottom line though for me it I understand the piece to me for me is if anybody Amanda making a decision about me, I want I be need to be a part of that decision. Yep. So you want to talk about power, let's be honest. If you're making a decision around the zoning in my community, that means I need to be a part of that decision making process. Right? If somebody's making a decision about who's gonna be the police chief, I need to be involved in that. So ultimately, like I said, it's not the panacea, and I think when we tell people that. You know, I think that that's the second thing we go wrong. The third thing that I think we go wrong is the focal point. We make politics be about the candidate. We make politics be about the party. Ultimately, I'm going to go to Alabama in 2017, which there was this Senate race where Doug Jones beat um, Roy Moore in this race and it flipped a Republican seat to a Democratic seat. People may not may know may not know the candidates, but they know they may have heard of black women showed out in Alabama. Let me say this. We didn't know that, man. People weren't voting for Doug Jones because we were excited about Doug Jones. Like, matter of fact, he had a commercial was problematic. Black women showed up because we were voting for us. So we getting this twisted. Like the focal point isn't to find the next savior on the on the white horse. I'm from Alabama. There's been very rare occasions that I've been voting for people who I thought were the perfect candidate. That's not a luxury that I have in this country. But what I do is I'm a strategic tactical voter that at the end of the day, I want power. I want every bit of power my people can get. And if voting, as Brother Malcolm says, by any means necessary is one tool to be able to access that point. If it wasn't, folks wouldn't be trying so hard to keep us from doing that. And so in addition to that, folks need to understand, I'll use one example of how we part of our disconnecting from the process and the value has been intentional about the narratives that have been told and what we've absorbed. Because if it wasn't important, let me go, let me take y'all back to reconstruction. So, right after reconstruction in Mississippi, I need y'all to know how bad this is. Amazing ass black folk elected 300, these were formerly enslaved black folk, 
elected 300 black elected officials in one election cycle all over the state. This is profound. These were folks who literally would get killed for voting, right? But overnight, over the 70, overnight and a course of a couple of days, white mobs went out and killed 70 of the 300 that were elected. So I'm saying this because when I'm saying that literally when we're voting, like there is blood that folks have shared for that. I mean, like there's literal blood. And I'm not saying that in the sense of you owe somebody or some, you owe somebody something. I'm saying that you need to really be able to know what time it is and recognize power. And so ultimately, when we're talk, telling people about voting, it's one, it's three quick things. One is to reduce the harm in our community, right? That we're trying to reduce all harm in our community so we can really nation build the way we need to. Two, it's about black folks demonstrating agency that's stopping in the, in the middle of the, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm at McDonald's and I get them $5, they supposed to give me 57 cent fan. They can't just give me a 50 cent piece. They got to give me my 57, my 57 cent. I want all seven pennies. Who owned the place? I need my 57 pennies. I need my seven pennies, right? And so we've got to see voting at that. Every little drop that we can get to of power to empower our community, we've got to focus on that. And then the third thing for me is not just to stop there. Part of my conversation with people around voting, which is more important, is I always ask people, what is your radical reimagining of this country? That ultimately, we literally have to be engaged and demonstrate agency now because I'm envisioning a day of which we will actually create that we're going to nation build. And so we've got to be engaged in that process. We can't just sit back. You just don't sit back and let somebody somebody try to jump or beat you. You don't sit back. Where do you think the whole... It doesn't matter. Like, where do you think that notion has really blossomed from? Because it, it, it started somewhere and it's now become a very, very strong reason that people rest on for why they don't need to be involved. I think it's I think it's evolved from because we have not seen the kind of material changes in our community we want to see that I think has resulted from two things. One, I think people have lied about voting. Right. That's why I'm being honest about it. I think people have told folks that voting was a panacea for everything. Even recently. Real when quick, I, can you tell people what a panacea is? That that voting is the, the 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 thing that is actually going to solve everything. It is the medicine. It is the solution to everything. It is not. I am. I do. My whole life has been dedicated to voting. And I'm going to sit here and say that it is not right. But it is a power level. It's a part of it. It is a part of the process. It's one tool. The problem is when you tell people that something is all that. I don't know, a man is like that brother that you first meet. You be like, oh, he got it going on. He is perfect. He is perfect. And then you find out that he's a straight asshole. Like you just. You, you find you, out that he owes you money and that he claimed that he's going to pay you out of the money that he was supposed to get that you got him. And then he's and then you find out during this podcast that he actually got the money and yet is lying to you. And he really just don't want to pay you the money back that you paid to pay him out of jail. You mean that? Oh, oh Lord, Jesus, have mercy. Okay, yes. I mean like that. <laughs> like that. And because ultimately what winds up happening, you get people don't trust you, they don't trust your word. That people don't really believe what you're saying because you're not being authentic and real in them. Mm-hmm. If we're honest to people about the limitations of it, but also we can really talk about what's the real power of it. The real power isn't that it's going to resolve everything. The real power in it is that it is, it does have influence and it has impact. And we should say that and help people understand that. I think that that's one thing. The second thing why I think people feel that way is because oftentimes we have not, um, we have elected folks who were safe and not people who were visionaries. I be feeling like there's a, in, in the political, like Washington space, visionary feels like radical compared to, you know, what I, I feel like that there's safe is so the norm that anyone who has any kind of vision feels like radicalism. And then they'll radicalize their, their image to make them look like we're trying to elect, you know, Che Guevara. And it's like, okay, well, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but that's not necessarily what we need. And so, 
Absolutely. But part of the problem is if 50% of people are not participating in the process, then that's why we're staying in the safe space. My point is there's actually enough numbers for us to get a Che Guevara if we chose to. The truth of the matter is we got to believe it first. So some of the some of the some of the same things that we're saying that the unbelief of the leaders it also lives in us. That at the end of the day, when you've got folks who are running who are on what you see as a left or whatever, we the first ones to say they can't win. I Ain't know. no them because ultimately we don't have the vision to really see something outside of what we've seen. And I'm why not does saying- the Green Party never? Why is the Green Party not realistic? Like I see a lot of people that are like, well. There is this other person, like y'all are talking about Kamala Harris, but the Green Party has a black VP and, you know, the v- the Green Party is, a, is another option. Why, why can't we vote for them? Why does the Green Party not ever really seem like a real option? You know, I don't think the Green Party is not unrealistic. I question what the Green Party strategy and tactic is. I'm also, we got to be pragmatic. At the end of the day, the truth of the matter is America does not have a multi-party system. America doesn't even have a, a two-party system. The Democrats and the Republicans are literally a, essentially the same party, except they're on different, they have different tactical, the basic values around how government should function, they agree around, uh, around how, well, they, traditionally they have. We're in, we in a new twilight zone kind of thing right now. But uh, how the economic system, my point is, the system is designed to only support right now the Democratic and the Republican Party as a national party. However, there are third, the third party could serve as a leverage party. For example, like Maurice Mitchell with the work, the Workings Family Party, he ain't trying to run a, as president right now, right? They actually will endorse presidential candidates. But what they are doing is they're running candidates on the local level and they're taking power locally and then on some of the state levels. You, have, it's a tactical strategy. We have to recognize the truth of the matter is we inherited a system that has been designed and set up for the white power base to maintain power. That's just the truth, right? And so ultimately what we have to do is figure out how we engage, how we do two things. One, how do we engage in the system that exists now to at least minimize the harm happening to our people? And two, how do we vision, how do we visualize and build new infrastructure so that we can create something different? My organization literally works with grassroots organizations in 11 states. We work at any point, we got 200 Black-led grassroots groups that we're working with because we're trying to build up an ecosystem of independent Black political power. That the truth of the matter is, you know, like me, I live in Atlanta, so sometimes I start thinking that America's majority Black, right? Um, You get a warped sense until I go out, until I go out to the uh, Midwest. I was like, I was like, where all these white people came from? (laughs) That's like me at Trader Joe's. Right, right. So, so, but, but, but the bottom line is at 13 to 15% of the population, we're always going to be a leverage vote. The question is, how do we use that tactic leverage? Yes. and that leverage and see the vote just as that, as a leverage while we are building alternatives. We're supporting groups right now. There's a group that we're supporting. I'm not going to call their name, but we're um, supporting a group right now that is literally taking over a city council so they can dissolve the city council and create a whole nother governing structure. So the idea would be they vote enough people in that are on their, that are on their side. That's right. And then those people, because they're on the board, they're on the city council, they introduce a bill to dissolve the city council. And because they have the majority vote, the majority vote votes to dissolve the city council. Yes. I'm surprised I even figured that out in my head because listen, I know a lot of things, Latasha, but in the last year, I've had to listen, arm myself with so much more understanding of how these systems work because to me, when that, like when that brother says to you, why does it matter? It just became so boldly apparent to me why it matters in the reality that you just can't leave it to other people no more. Like, no. I think, you know, what happened with Trump is a lot of people really felt like, Ain't no way they're going to vote him in. Get out of here. And then when it happened, you start to realize, wait a minute, I've been putting my future and my life and my destiny in way too many people's hands that I can't even trust or know or that even give a damn. I've never even demonstrated that they give a damn. So, you know, for for 
to hear that, like, I love hearing that story about even just the, this group, because I think a lot of us don't even know how things change or the possibility. Like, no one knew what defunding the police meant until July. That's right. Nobody, that was not like a thing. Like, well, June, June 1st, when shit really popped off, people were like, defund the police, tell me more. And I was one of them. I had to call my boy Kendrick Sampson on the side. Like, now you talking about defunding the police. What does that mean? And uh-huh. when you when you really get down to brass tacks, it's not as far-fetched as we think. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, we it's not, we've we've built, we've built telescopes to see Mars. That's right. Like we've, and I, I just said this on my Twitter the other day, like our ancestors had you know, uprisings with garden tools. So that's right. Come on. It don't really seem to me like it is. It's really just about having the education. And I know, you know, and even that I'm going to check, I'm, I'm going to say it is a certain kind of education. Cause let me say this. We have been taught to believe that education is a great equalizer. Harriet Tubman could not read a word. No. Well, when I say education, what I mean is the knowledge Got it. that yeah. it can be done. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. what I mean. Because Absolutely. it's not, it's not necessarily, again, like it's not necessarily about like reading books or, you know, going to school. I mean, shit, I have my master's in African-American studies from Columbia University. I studied under some of the greatest professors and, you know, Robin D.G. Kelly and Mamie Marable, rest in peace and Fair Jasmine Griffin. That doesn't mean I knew how to dissolve a city council. That's right. And that that's doesn't right. mean that I even knew it was like, uh, I, I didn't know, I didn't know the pragmatic steps that are taken to get the change that we're looking for. And so I think a lot of the knowledge and education that's happening right now is people like yourself are really bringing people like myself and like that brother on the basketball court. You're bringing us just the basic bottom lines of like, these are the things that can be done. And when that's brought to your attention, you just don't seem like you're, you don't seem so far away. That's right. You know, like, I think a lot of people really feel far away from change. They don't feel like they have any role in it. And, um, and how and 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 it brings us closer to how voting plays a role in it. That's right. right? Like when you see, so what you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Like Ice Cube has been really pushing that we need to continue to like Joe Biden doesn't have our vote yet. We need to continue to demand um, you know, a specific agenda for black people. And I'm curious to just hear your thoughts on that because I think there's a number of folks that have the same goal at hand, um, which is elevation and and protection and change for our black community, but different tactics. And I'm curious to hear just your thoughts on how his, his feeling that like right now we still need to demand more and get more from Joe Biden before we can be pushing to vote for him. Do you feel like that is helpful or effective or just whatever? You know, I got, let let me say I got a couple of feelings because I think what the brother is speaking to is something that a lot of people are thinking about and feeling. And I want to put something into space. So one, I think that the, the, I think the spirit of what the brother is saying, I actually agree with that. I certainly think that we have to demand and put pressure. Right. But I also think that in the middle of, let me, let me give this analogy. That when I got six, six seconds left on the clock, and I've got two, and I got a moment that I got to make a shot because somebody going to win the game. I'm going to have to take the shot to win the game. Now, it might not be my best player. My best player may have fouled out, right? right? And all I got is this dude right here, right? But at, we got we got six seconds on the clock. That's all we got, right? My Jordan down. He down and out for the he count. Wow. Like, right. I got my eighth man. I'm a sixth man, but I got my eighth man. That's like literally on it. What I'm going to do. I've got to take the shot because I'm trying to win the game. This is about tactic and strategy. This ain't about our feelings. At the end of the day, if we're really concerned about uh, um, agenda, and I'm not saying that we aren't because I think we are, you have to listen and take leadership from folks like me that I don't just start talking about politics when it's 60 days out. This is my life work for 25 years plus, right? And so I'm saying that because it's really important for people to recognize that what time it is, because we can join a conversation late and so let's blow up the spot, right? Without really being talking to folks who do this work and know the nuances of it. The truth of the matter is it is a false equivalency for us to talk about Biden and Trump like they're the same. 
Yes, they white men, they all of that, whatever. But Trump is a fascist, he, racist, misogynist leader who is extremely dangerous for black folk. So at the end of the day, I'm not voting. It's bigger than Biden. I'm not voting for just for Biden. I'm voting for black. I'm yes. voting for who can get some relief. We've got to be sophisticated enough to really know how to do both things. That one, I absolutely believe that we got to push the agenda. And you know, Sister Amanda, you know, we, you know, you know, me and you've been on the front lines doing that. <laughs> We're pushing for this agenda, right? But at the same time, we also cannot minimize the danger of having Trump in office for the next four years. So someone the- literally asked me, Sister, Sister Latasha, what is what? What can Joe Biden do to help black people right now? And I said, not be Donald Trump. Like, not, honestly, not that is my, he, he's just not Donald Trump. Shut the, shut the spread of white supremacy. We, are we not seeing that there's been an acceleration of how white people have been treating and pulling out guns on black folks? He empowers that. Yes. Right at the end of the day, at the first when, when at the end of the day, when the house is on fire, this ain't the time to talk about the couch you should have bought. Put the damn fire out. Right. Or the whole water holes that you need. I wish I had to, I'm gonna use a bucket if I need to to put the fire out. So right now, I think that we've got to literally be sophisticated enough to know this is about a tactical strategy to reduce the harm happening to our people. Because if I don't know about you, um, Amanda, but the fact that a thousand people, over a thousand people are dying a day on COVID-19 and the majority of them are us, we can't write that off. That the fact that there are 30 million black folks without employment right now, this ain't no same ball game. This ain't 2016. This ain't 2012 that they are projecting that 50% of black businesses are going to go out of business. That 80% of black businesses didn't get any of the stimulus money. Come on, bro. I'm going to need us to step up a little bit around our analysis about what time it is. So yes, I agree that we've got to put pressure on Biden and continue to put pressure on Biden. But but right now, at the what I know for sure is that this dude is burning the house down that we live in. And so ultimately, until we build this other house that some of us have not paid attention enough to even put down a stone, mm-hmm. right? that we've got to literally be able to at least protect some of the shelter for our people right now. In the meantime, I am hoping that we do have a different conversation four years from now or eight years from now that as we build, but we got, it can't be, we 60 days out. And so let's do it. It has to be, we're in protracted struggle. And there are some of us who have dedicated our lives in this work. And what we're saying right now is, Voting for us has always been a tactical strategy to reduce the harm in our community while we are also building. Because I'm a sister that I can tell you, I'm somebody who has actually built a third party. If you ain't, if you talking stuff about what we need to do and you ain't built a third party, shut up. If you, uh, we don't need to vote for such and such and such and you ain't never moved anybody in or out of office, shut up. Right. If you have never done anything to actually leverage the power for protecting black folks and been an advocate for black folks in the front lines of making sure that the harm has reduced us. Shut up. I'm not interested in your opinion. Maybe I'll be interested by um, Christmas. But right now, if you have not done anything to protect us, shut up. And so I'm serious. It's just I'm literally at that point. I'm at this point that this ain't about your opinion. This ain't about what I what what we think. This is literally about what is the best tactical strategy in this moment that is going to reduce the harm that is happening to our people cuz black folk are dying. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people really just look at it like, "Oh, it's Trump and Biden." I'm like, "Okay, but there are so many ramifications that are not nuanced, you know, that are very, very clear cut in regard to having this person or that person, you know, even on the basic note of like our Supreme Court, science, you know, just science, just even the fact that for what, for what it's worth, 
I know Biden is a gaffe machine, um, but at least facts are facts. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we when we when we realize that we are now four years into an an, an, uh, organization is not the word I'm looking for. Four years into a presidency, an administration, thank you. Four years into an administration that does not consider information to be informative. (laughs) I. I really don't know why it is such a hard conversation to have with folks to just get on the same page. I, I wonder if it's ego. Um, I, I wonder if it's literally just like, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain, um, there's a protectiveness that we have for each other and for our community that I understand, but I just feel like we, the, the, the militarization of that comes in having a discipline and knowing that when we are doing reconnaissance to determine where our troops got to go, we're looking at the bigger picture. In order to get to that fort, we got to cross over a river. We got to go through these woods. We got to then go through all this. And we're still looking at the river. And I just need folks to understand that if we can't cross this river, the fort don't matter. It don't matter. It don't even matter. I, you know, I think there's a couple of things. I, I mean, I, part of it is let's, there's been an intention, intentional effort to dumb down America. The truth of the matter is folks will... Yeah. Go by, it has been very intentional that yes. you know, the, 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 the majority of folks right now, if you go on the streets, you know, um, I can't remember which one of them did it on that late night show um, where they were asking people um, who was the president or who was their senator. They, had, they didn't have a clue when they asked. Um, there's an intentional dumbing down of America. And part of that has been intentional to keep those in power, always in power. Absolutely. So what winds up happening oftentimes when you talk to people, if you really listen to them, they're really saying things that they hear, hear repeated. It's like a little soundbite. They hear a soundbite, they grab hold to the soundbite, and then they're sharing it, right? Yeah. And that's because the absence of knowledge, right? You will gravitate to what sounds good at the moment because on some level, even, even when, we're, when folks are bringing a critique, there's an element of truth to that. You can't completely dismiss it. There's an element of truth to that but it's not the totality of what we're talking about when we're talking about power. So I think one is around the dumbing down of America. The second thing is folks don't read and they don't listen. When I went to Cuba, like you could go, and when you go to Cuba, you can get on the bus and the bus driver will break down. Like, yes, it's true. They have a 99% literacy, like everybody. Let me tell you, I met a fine ass nigga in the club who broke down the revolution for me. And I was like, I want any, and he didn't have any outward signs of like, I'm about that. It was just, this is normal. Like we all know about this. They're well read. They're steeped in their history. And I'm not even necessarily just blaming us. That's been intentional to keep us away from that. Right. And so I think part of that is the process too, of, of people really not really understanding understanding the nuances of of, of information. And then the third thing is we've allowed this conversation about voting to be about participation and not power. That ultimately most folks, I don't think really understand power. That even when I break down, when folks say, well, such and such, this is not going to happen. They usually can't even connect the voting of how that leads to power. I understand. I think that's been intentional as well. But those of us that are doing the work, that's what we've got to do. We've got to help people really recognize why this is a leverage of power. It's only one tool, but it's one leverage of power. Um, And then, you know, ultimately, I think it would be a a tragedy for us just to focus on the how we're going to fix this up. And we're not trying to build something else. And so there are organizations that are also, just like I shared with you earlier, that we're trying to build, we're trying to nation build. We're trying to build some alternatives, but recognize where we are now. This is what I got now. It's kind of like when you got a ragged car, you got a ragged car and that's the transportation you got. Now, you know, you want to get that BMW one day and you're going to say to get that BMW one day. So you're going to actively work to get the BMW, right? But I got to get to work. I got to get in this ragged car <laughs> and I got to hold this window up and I got to take the um, the screwdriver to turn the, in- the ignition on. Right. Because right now that this is what I, this is practical for what I need right now while I am working for the BMW. Yes. We have to see voting like that. 
that as we are reimagining and creating these other systems, right, we've got to literally figure out what we have right now to reduce the harm in our community. We've got to tap into that. Because let me tell you something. If I hear one more person say to me, I'm going to vote for whoever got something for me. If that's Trump or that's Biden, then that's what's going to be. I'm like, talking to where these people are. Killer Mike said that. He said, what? Killer Mike said, I'm going to vote for whoever has something for me. And I said, right now, we need Joe Biden because we need the other option. All right. Trump, I I thought he didn't show him. Like at this point, I'm serious. I I, I love brother Killer. I love Mike too, but I'm just like, I can't be a nonpartisan voter right now. At this point, if you support him, I'm going to be honest. I'm drawing drawing a line in the sand. I'm an activist, been doing this work my entire life, right? You can't out black me, my blood black, right? At the end of the day, if you are supporting Trump at this point, I consider you on the side of the enemy. I'm sorry. It ain't no holes bars for me. Do you consider someone saying I'm not voting for Biden, voting for Trump? It might as well be at the end of the day. It's, let me say this. If we going back to my basketball game, if we at the end of the basketball game, right. And you got the opportunity to at least take right. a shot. Do you take the shot or do you just say, no, nah, I'm just going to let the other team win. All that mean to me is you ain't a winner. Cause I'm a winner. Folks who I know that are winners, baby, we're going to scrap to that buzzer buzz to try to win that game. I'm in it to win it for my folks. And whatever that, how that means, I'm looking for, I'm very clear around that, reducing the harm. I think it is apolitical to say that in any way, and then when Black folks start having the luxury to vote for themselves. <laughs> like when that, when, like where they do that at? Like ultimately, it has always been around us leveraging our collective power. Yes. Right. And, 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 and here's my question. Isn't and this is my one of my last questions. Isn't that what it's all isn't that what voting ultimately is? That we're not voting for our individual selves. We are voting for a collective power. I mean, even when I look at other communities and the way that they are voting, they don't vote as individuals, they vote as communities. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, that's how we vote. So I don't know. Maybe it's the sound bites. I'm not sure because I love the brother. I didn't know he said that. I just mean in general, like. Yeah, I'm totally against that, that that ultimately you're absolutely right, sister, that it is always our power is in our collective voting, that when we vote collectively, we make a difference. Right. And not not to acknowledge that. Right. To make some false equivalency like Biden and Trump are the same. And it's just about you. Like, really? I mean, really? Like, we don't think that they're saying that it's just about them individually, but they're saying, like, who got something for the black community? And that, so, it, and that it, he has to show it. Where is it? And you know, my thing is, listen. This is a man who got elected much in part because he promised poor white folks a whole bunch of things that they did not get. Right. Why would we expect that he's going to give us any of things that that he would promise us? Like, why would we think that that's going to happen? So I just I'm, feel like you know, you got to look at. You know, I, I have a. I have an ex who always said, hey, man, there's only victims and volunteers. <laughs> and I never forgot that because at a certain point, it's like we already know what this person is. He's, he's demonstrated it. And we have the choice to make a decision that can protect us from it in the best way. Because the, the truth of the matter, he's not going to go quietly. No, he's not going quietly. But so I'm even gonna, if he does lose, yeah, I'm I'm not about to be governed by illegitimate. Uh, uh, and that's a whole other story. The, the I have bond- one last question about voter suppression. Yeah. So you ran for office. You found out later that they completely suppressed the vote, stole it. We've seen it happen with Al Gore. We've seen it happen in this last election. We see it about to happen now. What are, do you feel like real, like tactical methods that we can take to, or that we can, Im, right. well, that we can apply to really earnestly combat this? I know there's a lot of talk about mail-in votes, but then when you hear, when you tell me that this sheriff forgot a bag of votes, forgot a bag of votes, I'm like, they gonna, if we do mail-in ballots, 
I am worried that those ballots will disappear. All of a sudden, mail, you know, mail rooms will get on fire because because it feels like the Wild West right now. Mm-hmm. So what is the real like, what can we do? So I think there's a couple of things. I think one, there's always strength and power. Um, we're in numbers. And so there's a couple of things. One, I've got a couple of things I tell the folks for people to have some apprehension around voting in that way is valid. Right. Um, I don't know if I think that we shouldn't completely, because I think there's a false choice to think that, you know, I got to choose my health over mail in. So I, okay. I just, we got to weigh that in. Um, and you know where you are. You have, I mean, you have to weigh that in. I think the way that we reduce it is a couple of things. One, I think people have to vote early that the earlier that you vote, we can actually track it. That the first thing people need to do is to go and to see if you haven't registered already and make sure that you're registered, go to vote.org just to see what your status is. That one, you need to apply and to vote early, right? The second thing is you need a political home, that this ain't the moment for us to be an individual, that this is the moment for us to really show up collectively, because even if you don't know what to do, there are other organizations that will advocate, will track things down and can actually be a a resource for you around this part so we can document and we can fight it. So that's the second thing, that find a political home, whether it's the NAACP, whether it's the Lawyers Committee on Civil Rights, whether it's Black uh, Voters Matter, there are organizations that are doing work that you need to connect with. Third thing is, I think that we have to, what we used to do in Alabama when they would do these races is that we would always, it's a sad thing to say, but it's true, that we would always factor that they were going to steal about, they won't shave 10 to 15% off the top. Literally. You would just, we just put that in. Our numbers in, we just knew they would still shave 10 to 15% off the top. And so when we did our numbers, we would always factor in higher numbers that we needed. That the one thing that I have actually seen deal with voter suppression is the overperformance of the black vote. You got to make it hard. It's almost like if I live if I live in a bad neighborhood, right? I got to put some real locks on my doors. Yeah, you may break in. But the harder that I make it for you to break in, right, it just increases my chances that you can't get in my house. And there's some folks that have been living in some real, real tough spaces that ain't nobody. I got an aunt that got about 12 boat lots on her. And she live in a safe area in the country. I don't know why she got them locks <laughs> on her door, right? But you're not getting up in that house, right? The, the bottom line is you've got to make it difficult. You don't give it away. You've got to make folks literally, if you're going to take it, you got to steal it if you're going to steal it. But ultimately, I think that we've got to look at make it, hard. make it harder around so that we, if we're overperforming. And then I think we got to be, the fourth thing, I think we got to be prepared to respond to it. So so it's, it's, it's almost, it's like if you're in a, you know, if you're in a game and if anybody, I don't know why I got these sports analogies today, but I, I guess I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. We, we're still in the game. We're still in the game. If you playing basketball and you know there are teams that you know the referee got fa- is a favorite of the other, um, showing favoritism to the other yeah. team. What you do? I ain't gonna play. I'm gonna sit down. I'm just ain't gonna shoot the ball no more. You go hard in the paint. That's what you do. And you beat them so unquestionably that they can't steal it. And so at the end of the day, we've got to really look at it from this mm-hmm. perspective, that yes, it is a lot that for us to overcome, right? But ultimately, literally, I can show you when there's just a bump in from 15% of Black folks, it make a difference. Like not just for us, it changed the whole ball game. So we've got to really look at this as a different kind of way, as a tactical way. And so one, check your status. Two, you got to make sure you connect with an organization that can be supportive, you can work with. Three, be deputized. Your vote need to be multiplied at this point. You need to, people need to be thinking of the black multiplier effect. So when every time you go, I know I'm good for at least a couple of thousand votes, guaranteed, right? You yeah. need to be good for at least 10 votes. Every okay. single Okay. You, it's well, like, it's like. It's like, listen, let me tell you the analogy for that one. That ain't the game. That's the club. Come on. <laughs> because folks be wanting to get on that flyer. And it's like, well, you got to sell 10 tickets. You got to get 10 folks up in this club to buy a bottle if you want your name on the flyer. And folks be like, you know what? I'm going to get Tisha, Tamika, Angela, Renee, about three Kims. You know what I'm saying? And then they they name on the flyer, hosted by Amanda. Like, <laughs> And that's how it go. And when you're doing stand-up, That's how it works, too. Like, you got to get 10 folks to come to your show. You know, that's how you start. We 
each have to see ourselves as part of our community. And I think that's what we're missing. That's you know, like when, when you talk about we're voting for us, not the individual, we, we have to rebuild us. We got um, to rebuild us and the sensibility of us. Like when we do Smart, Funny and Black, my show, my, my show Smart, Funny and Black. I love that show. Thank you. Smart, Funny and Black is really just about like, I want to, through comedy, remind people that we have a shared history and a shared community. And when you hear people laughing at the same thing that you laughing at, and you know, it's an inside joke that only black folks know, it starts to whip with your mind to say like, oh, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of something bigger than me. And I just want us to bring voting into that conversation. And let me tell you, everything that you have said today is so profound because one, the huskiness and your accent combined make everything you say sound more profound. So let's start there. It just already sounds like she going to tell me something. I know that's she is. South, baby. That's that dirt style, that dirty, dirty. <laughs> I, I really feel like I should get my float on. Maybe, maybe folks would not be so mad at me if I just put my float on more often. But then, but then, um, <laughs> but I think the other thing is that to your point, you really do come from a very bottom line, honest place. And a lot of us are so quick on like, nah, that ain't the truth. And so there, a lot of us are just very, we're dismissive and we're paranoid to like the evangelicalness of this, you know, the evangelizing of voting. And That's when right. you talk, it don't, when you talk about it, it don't, it don't feel like that. When you're talking about it, I don't feel like I'm being guilted that's right. or, that's right. or condescended or, and, and listen, some of that shit is, that's your own insecurities. My point is you don't trigger none of my, <laughs> you don't trigger none of my insecurities. And I know like for a lot of us, we want to be a part of elevating our community and we don't necessarily know how and so, voting sometimes feels like some otherworldly shit. And what this, what this conversation today did for me, and I hope for a lot of people is it shows in just even the most, Basically, because Angela was on and Angela broke down politics, but it still felt like, girl, I need to get another master's like because she's like, you know, you got to pick three, three, like three platforms, three things you care about, whether it's industrial prison, industrial crisis, whether it's environmental, you know, awareness, all these things. But then she was like, but then from there, you got to find out, like, who is lobbying about that? And, who, and I was like, this is somebody's job. <laughs> and I just want to paint again. So how do I, how do I do that? And I feel like what you've laid out for us is a way for us to be better citizens without feeling like I'm taking on another profession. That's right. That's that right. I'm not going to get paid for. That's right. Um, but that I will pay the price for if I don't figure out how to be involved with. That's right. That's right. Is it, you know, minor rivers are filled drop by drop. That ultimately, when we're talking about really what, like, at your drop, all we said is when we add our drop, it makes a difference. Just add our drop. And I'm not one of those folks that say, if you don't vote, you don't matter. No, you matter because God created you. Your right. very being, you have value. I'm saying to vote because you matter. Exactly. Right? I'm so, and so that's a different, it ain't the, the power ain't with the vote. The power is with you. You voting is you demonstrating your agency that ultimately I am going to be a part of any damn process that has impacted me and my people. That's why you vote. It's not you voting because you got, you, you believe in a system outside of yourself. No vote. If you believe in yourself and when you believe in yourself, you will use every tool around you to back people up. If I ain't got nothing but this bottle, and somebody trying to break in my house and hurt my family, I'm going to beat the hell out of them with this bottle. <laughs> I might rather have a gun. I might rather have something else, but I'm going to beat you with this bottle because I'm going to use whatever tools that are available for me to protect my family. And so we need people to see voting like that. I don't believe that voting is the end all and the be all, but voting is absolutely one tool of power, one tool of influence that can either take folk out that are hurting you out of position, right? Or put people in that can reduce the, the harm to your community. And so we've got to see it as that, but we can't stop there. We also, as I, as I, the last thing I'll say, Amanda, is I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I do this all the time. I'm okay. going to ask you to close your eyes just for a couple of seconds. And I'm going to ask you to imagine America without racism.
Imagine America without racism. Girl, you popped your eyes open real quick. You was like, uh. Because I'm scared to say that I don't even know what that looks like. That's right. That's right. I do this everywhere. I've done it at Harvard. I've done it at Princeton. I do it at um, in, in, in community centers all over the country. 98% of the room literally have the same action. And I usually give them more time to really sit with it, right? The bottom line is how are we going to create a world or a nation without racism when we can't even envision it? I'm raising this because there is nothing that has been created and brought into being that was not first visualized, right? Including all of those amazing paintings behind you. Cause girl, I see which one I want. I want that one right there. But like literally those amazing, something in you actually had a vision of the colors of what the idea of something. And then when you got your canvas together, you just start flowing in your gift, but it was led by your vision. The bottom line is our people don't need to just get caught up in this political punditry that we're just saying our opinion one way or the other. We've got to do the work right now to reduce the harm. And we got to radically reimagine every system in this country. What would an education system look like that valued and provided quality education for all children? What would an economic system look like that if people went to work, that they could actually pay all of their bills? My point is we've accepted somebody else's vision of each and every single system, right, without really visualizing our own. And I'm saying that it's not an either or strategy. In the short term, I'm trying to reduce the harm. But as much time as I spend on voting, I'm also spending time hours at a day, Cliff and I trying to figure out new systems. We're trying to figure out what the new America going to look like. Right. I don't think of myself, I'm, I'm a black futurist. I'm literally thinking about every single system. When we tear this system down, what will we replace it with? Because what I know is when people don't spend time visualizing the same folks that got a critique, when they get in power, they will cre- recreate the very same thing that they were criticizing. Because I feel like a lot of folks' idea of freedom is having, a lot of folks' idea of liberation is having the, is having the freedom to oppress as their oppressor has oppressed them. Great. You know what? That is ultimately, ultimately what I'm saying. So I am saying that we've got to, we got to fly the plane and build a plane at the same time. That right now my people need some relief. Like if I could just, if I could just hold the dogs off a little while, while we build this thing over here, that's what we've got to do. And so ultimately, it's not just about what is in for me. Like at the end of the day, I, there are thousands of folks that I don't want their benefits, food stamps cut off. Because guess what? At one point in my life, I needed food stamps. I ain't forgot. I'm not going to forget. So I'm going. it doesn't matter what me talking about me having a tax break when their cousins and family members and other people that I don't know who are struggling and need those food stamps to feed their families. And so when we got so selfish that it's just about all about me, when we got, when, where they do that at? And build power. So ultimately our power is us literally leveraging it together. So nothing else that I said on your show is, <laughs> I'll just say, I believe, I believe in black folks and I love black people. I love my people to the point that I'm going to use every single tool to help us get some power. And voting is one of those tools for me. The last dose. Do you want to leave us with a a tune? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Because it wouldn't be you. Well, the first thing I did right was the day I started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Our people who didn't have any money, didn't have government on their side, they didn't have anything, but what they had is a belief in themselves, in their own humanity, and they sang that song and changed this country and changed and inspired the world. So I stand in that spirit. That's my people. That's who my people be. There it is. 
Hold on, y'all. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Just a little while longer. It's a little while longer. <laughs> Thank you so much for your wisdom and your action and your work. Black Voters Matter, where can folks get more information? They can check us out on um, all social media, Black Voters MTR, or you can go to our website, blackvotersmatterfund.org. Miss Latasha Brown on, on social media. I try to post and keep people. We got the blackest bus in America, too. So y'all look out. We going virtual. So just Google the blackest bus in America. I'm telling you, you don't get no blacker than us. I love it. Thank you all so much. Uh, thank you so much, Latasha. Make sure to listen to everything that she just said. You know, I've never said this before. I'm going to say it this time. Listen to the episode again. <laughs> there was so much jam-packed in this. I know you didn't catch it all. Listen to it again, folks, because we need we need to have all of this encouragement, enthusiasm, and empowerment in order for us to really take the next steps. Thank you, sister. And I'm ready for you to paint again, by the way. Me too. I know. You're, it is fantastic. I just want you to know how much I love and appreciate you and just the joy that you generate and bring to the world. And just your work is amazing. I'm telling you, I'm going to get this painting over here. I can't wait to come. No, I'll cut my stuff <laughs> from you, but we're going we gonna to let you go right now. I'm let you have it for your, for, for your show right now, but. <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. A podcast, <clears throat> A podcast network.